Hello and welcome to another episode of the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. On this week's show, we've got Mike Tonkovich from the ODNR Division of Wildlife back on. But before we get to Mike, we've got some exciting news. We've been testing a new feed product and we've been very happy with the results. So we're proud to announce Monster Whitetail Grub as a new sponsor of the Ohio Huntsman Podcast. So Jeff's been testing the product out at his place. So why don't you tell a little bit about the product and what you like about it? All right, yeah. Yeah, I've been testing the product, and I put it out in a location that traditionally has very, very poor late-season activity. I put it out in early, mid-January, and there was not a deer track within hundreds of yards of the location I put it in. You know, there was no deer tracks around in the snow. You know, I could tell where the deer had been because there was snow on the ground. And we wanted to give it an honest, because you've done some feeding with with just regular corn out there, so we wanted to give it an honest test, no bias from the corn that's been there, right? Right, right. And the location I put it at was about 100 yards from a cornfield that was picked uh, around Christmas this year. Okay. So there was plenty of corn still left on the ground in that field. Sure. After a week, I had deer coming in on the regular to this location spending hours eating the feed. And actually, you ended up hunting over that that feed the last day of season and almost got a deer, right? Yeah, I had the most success out of that stand I've had ever that day. Saw the most deer that day. They were just coming in left and right. They just happened to all be coming in downwind of me. So as soon as, soon as they actually got directly downwind of me, they would smell me and were looking for what I, you know, where I was. And with the leaves off the tree, they could pick me out. Yeah. So needless to say, we're, we've been super impressed with this product. So if you're looking for a new feed product to try, something to, to help get your deer through the winter, I urge you to check out Monster Whitetail Grub. Look them up on Facebook. They're Monster Whitetail Grub on both Facebook and Instagram. It's a great product. It's an Ohio company. That's, a, that's another great thing we like about them. So check them out, support the sponsor, support Monster Whitetail Grub, and it helps support the show. And now with that, we're going to get to the call with Mike. All right. We've got Jeff on the line. This is Jason. And most excitingly, we've got Mike Tonkovich back on the show. Mike is the Deer Program Administrator for the ODNR Division of Wildlife. And I just want to start by saying thanks, Mike, for coming back on the show. Absolutely. Um, I really, uh, really enjoy it. Um, I, I was, I was, uh, I gotta say, I was pleasantly surprised by, by all of the feedback that, that, uh, we received, or I received, I should say, on, the, uh, from our first show. So, um, hopefully we can, um, uh, we can keep that going, but, um, it's, it's a, it's a great way to spend an hour, that's for sure. Yeah. So, last time we talked, if, if the listeners out there didn't listen to the previous episode, it was episode number 22. This is, I think, going to end up kind of being a continuation of that episode. So last time we talked, it was just after muzzleloader season. We talked about the harvest numbers, some of the plans for adjusting the harvest by implementing the no-dose after gun season on public land. And we, we covered a lot in that one. So you, the listeners, you may want to start with that one and then come back to this one because we're going to, this is going to kind of be a continuation of that one in a sense. So 
I think where we're going to start is we had some, like Mike mentioned, we had some good feedback from the last episode, and we got a handful of listener questions that sort of pertained or came out of that episode. So we wanted to run through those first and then kind of get into the final harvest numbers and, and bag limits and how those things are set. So if uh, if you guys are cool with that, we'll uh, we'll jump into that. Sounds great. Into it. All right. So the first one was kind of we talked a little bit last time about moving away from managing by county and going to deer management units. And so one of the the questions that came out of that was, would it still be a statewide tag or would each deer management unit have its own tag and then therefore give you the flexibility, I guess, to charge more or less for a deer management unit that's maybe in more of a, a trophy zone in the state versus a, uh, I don't know, for lack of a better term, a lower quality area of the state. Yeah. So that, that is a, <clears throat> that's, that's a really interesting question. You know, and, and after 24, uh, you know, in a couple of weeks, I'll be in the year 25 of this. Um, you would think that I would have had just about every question at least once. Um, but Clint McCoy, <laughs> Clint McCoy and I, our dear biologist, uh, when I read that email to him, he's like, wow, <clears throat> that's interesting. That's an angle that I'd never thought of. Um, so, so neither of us had really ever considered that. Um, but but to speak to a couple things about deer, deer management units, you know, of course, um, as I I hope I made clear the last go around, you know that they're they're, um, um, they're not a done deal yet. Uh, that's for sure. We're, we're we're moving in that direction. I'm, I'm hopeful of that. But um, until uh, until we can get all the uh, uh, the T's crossed and, and the I's dotted, we're 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 not signing off on that. Um, but sure. that, that's a, that's a great question. And, and the answer the answer is. Um, Yes and no. Um, there will be some specificity with regard to permits, guys, but it'll be it'll be simply it, it won't have anything at all to do with price. It will simply be that um, you'll have a our our vision, if you will, our vision, if you will, is is to have a uh, make one either sex tag available that would be valid statewide. It didn't matter if you used it in Auglaize County, Adams County, or Ashtabula County. You could use it anywhere in the state just like you do now. Okay. So that would that that in effect it would be good for neither for deer of either sex, but but it would largely be a buck tag. Um the follow up or the 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 um um the sister component to that if you will would be the antlerless permits, the $15 antlerless permits or whatever they're priced at. Those would be whether we're counties or whether we're deer management units those permits would be units. We'll call them unit specific, and that could be a county. We could even we could even roll this out under a county situation, under a county management unit like we have now, or deer management unit, uh, if that's what we get to. But those would be unit specific. In other words, you would have to decide that you wanted to buy a, a permit or put in for a permit um, for for Athens County or Ashtabula County, and and that permit would be good only for that county. And and the reason being is that the idea is. Obviously, we're grouping we're grouping um, counties or portions of counties that have similar habitats and and in the end should have very similar deer populations. Okay, so we're grouping two or three counties together, or parts of two or three counties together, similar deer numbers, similar habitats, and 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 so um, we would identify uh, rather than bag limits, guys. We would identify how many antlerless deer we wanted to take out of that group of counties. <clears throat> okay. 
and we actually I, not not to pat ourselves on the back, but but the relationship between um, ant, the antlerless harvest and the impact that it has on the population is is we've actually got that pretty well figured out. In other words, if we if we maybe we talked about this, and I, I hate to be redundant, but real quick, if, if we harvest about if sixty percent of our harvest is antlerless deer. Generally speaking, that's going to lead to about a stable population. If we harvest, if a larger proportion of our harvest is antlerless deer, we're probably going to reduce the population, and anything less than 60 will grow the population. The, the problem has been with, with a bag limit, it's hard. I might, the model might say, hey, we need to, we need to harvest 10% more antlerless deer. Well, the bag limit might give us two options. We can either get 4% or 16%. Okay, so, but with a, with a, with an allocation of antlerless permits, what would happen there, we would say, hey, we need to harvest 3,000 antlerless deer. We know that the permit success rate is 33%, so we need to issue 9,000 permits for that particular county. So the county would be, whether it's the county or the deer management unit, that would be, you know, in effect, how we would allocate based on, based on the need in that particular, in that particular unit. So if you bought a permit in Athens, an antlerless permit, you couldn't take it over to Gallia County, for instance, or you couldn't take it, you couldn't take it back home to, uh, to Cuyahoga County if that's where you wanted to hunt. You could use your either sex permit anywhere in the state, but we're going to limit you to, uh, the county that you apply for. So the counties would be, the permits would be county specific or unit specific. So you were, you're on to something there. We would be controlling permits. Uh, there would be a, uh, there would be no bag limit anymore. Instead of, instead of a bag limit, what it would, it's that we would control the harvest through the sales process. In other words, everybody would be, um, available. Everybody could put in for one permit until they were, until the every, you know, for the first two weeks of the, uh, the, the lottery. And then after that, everything would go to over the counter. So it would be, it would be a little different feel. But I don't imagine <clears throat> down, <clears throat> excuse me, down at the individual hunter level, folks would really see uh, that much difference. The big difference would be I've got to decide, and it's not a big deal. We know that hunters hunt in multiple counties, but harvesting in multiple counties is a, is, is a different story. And yes, hunters sure. do kill deer in different counties. But I think the again, everything that we talk you know that we talk about on this show is, is we're always going to talk about pluses and minuses. There isn't uh, even even lowering the cost of a deer permit has some downsides, um, and that's just the nature of the beast. So when we talk about uh, the San Luis permit allocation system, what will allow us to do is fine-tune the harvest and keep population stable, which has been a, a big complaint of a lot of folks that, oh, my gosh, can we make up our mind already? You know, we're two deer this year, six deer next year, you know, that kind of thing. So it would get it would bring us to some stability, but it would I guess what it would do perhaps, guys, is it would force us to do a little bit more planning on the parts of our hunts. Yeah, and it sounds like maybe it's just another tool to give you finer, more granular control over the population. Is that a good way to look at it? That's perfect. Uh, that's perfect, Jason. Um, so that and that that actually was was kind of you know when you when you um, have limited tools, uh, whether it's whether it's working on a house or fixing a car, sometimes you have to be creative, and 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 that's what we did with that's kind of the purpose. That that antlerless permit, making it valid only the first eight weeks of the season, seemed kind of contrary when you thought about what we were trying to do. But what it what what it did in effect was it essentially doubled the bag limit for the first eight weeks of the season. So you went from one to two, two to four, uh, three to six. 
since it wasn't the entire season, it wasn't a six-year bag, and it wasn't a four-year, and it wasn't a two. It was a 1.7, or it was a it was a 2.4, it was a 3.1. You know that type of thing. So it got us. What we were hoping to do is find some middle ground with with that regulation. So that was that was an attempt to be. You know, we had to be really creative and try to find something in between um, uh, those bag limit choices that we had because historically. Um, you can look across the state, and, you, and you'll find a few counties, whether they're all ag or whether they're all forest, where you could probably settle on a bag limit and keep the population stable uh, into perpetuity, for perpetuity, um, into perpetuity, I should say. Um, but most counties in, in Ohio, we have either historically over or under harvested. You know, we, a one-deer bag is not enough, so we'll keep it at one deer for a few years, and then the herd gets large, and we can talk about how we set bag limits and stuff. And you understand why we then have to go to a two. We keep it at two. We bring the population down because we're effectively over harvesting. Bring it back down to one. And the same would, would apply for a two and a three-year county as well. So not the best. We've done really well, I think. I, I think we can pat ourselves on the back with the tools that we've had. But but if, if stability in regulations and stability in populations and predictability uh, is what what our hunters uh, would like, then then, of course, we're going to have to try and get to that. Uh, finer scale in terms of harvest. Sure. Sure. So I guess a, a, a follow-up to that before we get into the next listener sub- submitted question was with, you know, you mentioned going to a lottery. Could you could you dive into that a little bit more? So you said it would be a lottery for, would you say, the first two? Yeah, that's, so, yeah one thing we want to be clear on, guys, is that w- – this is, uh, you know, when you talk about prototypes and they roll out cars at the, you know, at the car shows that won't be in production for five years yet. The cars are the future. Well, this is this is Mike Tonkovich and Clint McCoy uh, brainstorming, and, and bar, of course, yeah. this isn't far fetched because we're borrowing from other states. But but what I would envision, what I would envision is something something along the lines of, let's say, deer permit sales go on sale June first. Okay, so for the first two weeks, uh, and this is all hypothetical, but this is kind of we're kind of modeling it after how other states would, would hold their lottery first two weeks every resident in the state they would be open to residents only okay and you you would be eligible to buy a, you know you could put in for a permit in the county that you want the next two weeks we might open it up uh, to non-residents and then after that you know anything that's left over it, the permits would be sold on a first come first serve basis so in theory you know, if you picked a county where we had a need for a large deer harvest um, and permits were underutilized, you could get, you know, and this is in theory, you know, 12 permits, 12 antlerless permits. If, 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 But if we were doing our job, we should not have, you know, so imagine this, our first year, we don't know what the demand is going to be. We might we might have 1,000 or 2,000 leftover unsold permits. Well, um, then we would, you know, adjust that accordingly. So that that's kind of the nature of it. I mean, those are not... Hard and fast rules. I want to make sure we're clear on that. It would, sure, yeah. you'd have to find a way instead of bag limits because obviously that's what we're trying to get away from because bag limits are very, very rigid. We would have to issue, and, and we, it's, it's a simple matter of a couple phone calls to, to, uh, you know, the, many of our western states, if you guys have hunted out west, you know, are, are very familiar with allocations yeah. and understand how those work. Mm-hmm. Even Michigan, I mean, Michigan has allocations, but in many of their, in many of their units, uh, they can't they can't sell enough permits. In other words, they can't kill enough antlerless deer. And I'm sure there'll be counties like that in Ohio. Um, that, yeah. that will, and that, that's where DMAP and other uh, other programs might help um, direct harvest to those to those hot spots, if you will. 
So I don't want to get us too far down that rabbit hole because, number one, those details haven't been worked out. And number two, obviously, we have to get, you know, we have to get final buy-in for a system like that. Definitely, yeah. Great question. Jeff, do you want to do the next question then? Yeah, yeah. So the next question that we have got a lot is with the new automated game check-in system, first off, why did we decide to go to that? And then also, has there been any research done into, has that affected poaching? Has that increased poaching? Yeah, those, that, that's a great that's a great question, Jeff. Um, so the whys, that probably would be better served for for our license section, but I can speak to that in, in some very general terms. Um, the um, part of uh, I think the biggest reason is that the um, life expectancy of the system that we had in place, I think we were seven or eight, maybe more years beyond the uh, the expected uh, lifespan of the licensing system that we had before. Uh, what we call Wograms, uh, Wild Ohio Customer Relationship Management System, which is a mouthful, but that was our electronic licensing system. So, so firstly, um, a system, the system that we had was on life support, so it needed to be replaced. Um, and, and I think that, that, that's probably the, the largest reason. Uh, number two, uh, because of, you know, because of the volume of, of deer that, that we were, um, uh, that we were killing at that time and checking at that time, um, it was becoming impractical. In fact, we were actually, I know this may come as a surprise, but we were actually losing uh, check station operators simply because they, believe it or not, um, felt like the, the, the uh, impact of the hunters, and this, this would go for some of our very large check stations, um, they were actually costing them business rather than generating them business because it would just pack up, you know, they would block the pumps. And, and, and you know, the, the list goes on and on. So we actually had some... Some places in, in East Central Ohio, I recall having FFA students um, um, work those to help some of these bigger check stations out because it was becoming very burdensome for for um, for, for those operators. Um, the the other thing, guys, is it wasn't really um, that practical. Um, real quick, without going into a ton of details, think of, think about this for for just a second. Um, we were managing. So 2010, I don't have the harvest data in front of me, but I'm sure that we were well over 225, maybe 240,000 deer. Um, think about uh, think about the, the paperwork uh, and the logistics that went that would go into distri- distributing um, harvest record forms, paper harvest record forms, uh, metal tags to go with those, um, and and picking those up two or three or four times a season. The amount of work. Uh, that we saved ourselves by going to, you know, electronic game check um, was immeasurable and, and obviously freed up officers to do things um, much more relevant than than, um, than delivering, than serving as delivery uh, gals and guys. Uh, so so it, logistics were, were a big part of it. Cost was a big part of it. Yes, we spent, you know, I think at the time $16 million for the system, but I believe we got our money's worth. And then, of course, the final thing that, that comes to mind is, you know, we can talk, I can tell you, and I'm sure we're going to get there, we're going to talk about harvest specifics uh, of this past season that ended a week ago, not even a week ago, right? And and imagine doing that uh, in, in 1998 or 2005 or 2010. We had to wait for all of those data to be key entered, right? Um, we had to have mm-hmm. someone manually enter that information, um, and it, it took months, actually, to get that information back. And, and we began in 2003 
2000, up until 2003, we didn't even collect hunter information. All we collected was that all we could afford um, or chose to, I guess, enter was the county of Horace, the type of deer, the weapon used, that type of thing. Beginning in 2003, you know, we, we, we recognized that there was a lot of value in getting the hunter demographic information. You know, how many guys are killing, how many guys and gals are killing one deer, two deer? When are they killing them? How are they buying permits? You know, all of that stuff was a mystery. Uh, prior to this electronic licensing system, but at any point in time, I can go online, I can look for a deer, I can summarize the deer harvest, I can see who's bought what, we can talk about where license sales are instantly, and it's all real-time data. So lots and lots of, of, of reasons. Now, to, to get to your, your uh, the second part of your question, uh, Jeff, I, I, I'd like to start out, I'm always trying to think of the best analogy to describe, you know, the... Um, I guess to to address, and we can talk about data. I'll definitely share that with you. But but one of the things that that I think um, that that comes to mind when I think about the licensing system and and the um, uh, the cheating that that is often um, presumed to take place uh, because you can open quote uh, you know air quotes around that um, is I was thinking I was thinking before the show today. Um, you know, a lot of the big box stores have gone to self-serve checkout, and I and I guess maybe this isn't the best analogy, but I but I have to, I guess I have to ask. You know, just because I could probably take an extra item or two um, doesn't mean that I'm going to, because that's not the type of person that I am. You, you follow what I'm saying? Right. Just because the opportunity <laughs> presents itself and it's much easier than having someone check your groceries, I could definitely do it if I wanted to. Obviously, I choose not to because that's just the way I am. And I, and I think, you know, in, in all of the hype, it's it's and I understand it's super easy to think that people are cheating. But but I don't think a system makes cheaters out of people. I know you guys didn't. I didn't. Um, in fact, um, you know, I, the metal tag. There was nothing magical about that. You know, if you could get your deer home. You were home free. I mean, you had to drive. You could drive past the check station, or you know, in the case of a landowner like myself, I got it down to the pole barn. You know, I'm I'm scot free. So I don't think the system made right. criminals out of people. It, it it absolutely didn't. In fact, you know, if one was going to, you know, if we were going to have that philosophical discussion, I almost I would argue that if anything, it it, it actually increased compliance because. One of the most memorable events in my career was receiving, I didn't receive it, they, they received it at the central office, but I, I got a copy of it. A guy sent in five $20 bills taped to a, a white sheet of paper, eight and a half by 11 sheet of paper, and said that you know, he felt like this would probably pay for his fine. He felt that bad about not checking his deer, but he had to get out of the country or something and, and could not find an open check station um, in one of his western counties. I forget which one it was. But, you know, so there was a, I think, couple things. There were a lot of deer that probably were going unchecked because of the inconvenience that bringing a deer, you know, loading your deer up in the back of your Prius, traveling across the county, only to find out that the check station that you hoped was going to be open, they had to close early because there was a water line break or something of that nature. So it presented not only one option for checking deer, but in fact, three options for checking deer. So I, I think we need to keep that in mind and maybe maybe set that, use that as context when we talk about the data that we're going to talk about in just a second. So as far as, as far as data goes, you know, I, I guess I think about, you know, what, what were, what were some of the things that, that people are, you know, were thinking would happen in 2011 when we went to electronic game check, you know, things like more bucks would go unchecked and bucks would be checked as does and deer would not be checked and additional bucks would go unchecked and all of those things. But when we look at guys, when we look at the data, none of that, is supported by the data that that, that we have. Um, 
and I this is where a picture would be worth a thousand words. I wish you could see some of this, um, but I can I can do my best to describe it. So if we look at you know if if people were going to not check their deer in 2011, we 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 would expect, um, and, and I should say I guess I should back up. You know, buck harvest is only one of many indices or, or measures that we use to track changes in population size. We have long-term data sets, uh, for instance, in, in our, from our bow hunters, which you guys may participate in. You know, the number of deer that you see per hour hunted or, or 100 hours on the stand, that type of thing. Um, we Most recently, we have, you know, we've calculated buck harvest per 100 permit buyers. We've looked at deer. We can calculate deer harvested per 100 days of, of hunter effort. And we can also look at um, the number of deer carcasses removed from roadways by ODOT workers, okay, um, along with the buck harvest. Okay, so, so if something was going to go south, if people were going to all of a sudden not check deer, we would have expected to see a dramatic drop in the buck harvest and or the total harvest in 2011. And it did go down in 2011, but so did the other two indices, the uh, the bow hunter observations and the ODOT carcass removal. So my point is, and if you if you could see these data from 2000, you can go back to 2004 and look at it for the last 14 years. These indices have tracked each other very well. So if if people were not checking deer, if people were taking an additional doe or two, it's going to show up in the harvest. It, it that you can't hide that forever. It's going to have a you know an impact whether the whether at the statewide level we can look at it at county levels. Um, eventually you're going to detect that. And we have not, we did not see a shift in the composition in the harvest in 2011. In other words, it didn't go all of a sudden go to, uh, 60, so in 2010, 62% of the deer we killed that year were antlerless. 2011, it was about 63%. I was able to predict the harvest in 2011 to within a couple thousand deer. So the point is, is that there is no data to support this notion that people have all of a sudden um, you know, quit checking deer or taking multiple deer because if they were, it would show up in these other indices as well. Um, we would have proof. In other words, one would go one direction and the other indices would be going the other direction. Does that make sense without any pictures? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. definitely. Jeff, did you have anything else on that or should we go to the next one? Well, uh, just kind of adding to that point kind of, um, in a, a positive story that I can remember that now that I know how things happened, um, that large buck that was poached uh, recently, 26.1, um, that game warden basically discovered that because he could search those records, because he was looking for a 26-point buck checked in and could find who the hunter was. So... I guess that yes. just kind of goes to the, a positive, kind of shows me a positive there. Well, listen, guys, think about this for just a second, uh, what this system – now, obviously, the cheaters are always going to cheat, right? I mean, that, that's that's a reality, and there's not a thing that we whether – it's, whether it's hunting, whether it's fishing, or whether it's, whether it's work or school, whatever it is, the cheaters are always going to cheat, you know, and there's a small portion. I believe in my heart of hearts there's a small portion amongst – uh, you know, our 400,000 deer hunters, a very small portion, okay? But, but think about this. You know, I, I think that there's this notion that those metal tags were somehow magical and, and they prevented people from doing things uh, illegally. But um, back in the day, there was no communication. I mean, very little communication. You might get com- some communication between officers in adjacent counties. In other words, the Athens and the Benton County officers might compare notes 
and they might say, hey, look, Bob Smith, he killed a buck in your county, and he also killed a buck in my county. Okay, that might happen, but but officer in Ashtabula County talking to an officer or officer in Adams County, not going to happen. Okay, today, and I, and I think, you know, it, it seems odd that someone who's going to break the laws is also going to check their deer, but, you know, that's, I guess that, you know, there's, there's a psychologist out there that could probably explain that to all of us. But my point is, is that there, your, your point, Jeff, about being able to utilize a system in a real-time uh, situation and, 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 and address that situation would never have happened back in the day if there wasn't communication between county officers. And I can assure you, imagine laying out two or 3,000 pieces of paper and trying to figure out if that person also killed a deer in another county. Because remember... Once that, once that, uh, once those data were collected, or once those harvest record forms le- left the wildlife officer's hands and came to our central, uh, store where we, where we entered all that information, we didn't enter the hunter information. So, um, it would, it would take a lot of work on the part of officers to, to, uh, you know, identify, uh, potential problems. And now, um, you know, multiple deer checked, you know, checked before their, you know, before they, um, bought the permit, those kinds of things, um, you know, we can address those things for the few uh, for the few folks out there that that don't want to, or you know, may not necessarily know the rules to give them a break. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, the last question we had, and and this one I saved this one for last because it kind of dovetails nicely into the rest of what we wanted to talk about today was, as far as you know, we've, we've been talking a little bit about bag limits and things like that. How many just from a data standpoint, how many hunters are utilizing the statewide bag limit or or even shooting more than say three deer per person yeah that's that's uh, that's a great question and and one that um, i'm really I was really looking forward to because <laughs> that is a uh, that's a topic that is uh, that, that is really uh, i suppose uh, maybe i don't know if poorly understood is the word or not but but guys let me uh let me unload some data on you and and you don't really need to see this but i i can cuz i can sufficiently I, I guess i can get the message across by just telling you um some things about um hunter harvest in fact i was telling someone the other day that it it doesn't matter if we talk about 2007 or we talk about 1977 um the, the numbers are really not going to be that different. But but in 2000, let's start with this. In 2017, and I suspect it'll be very similar this year. 2017, um, and I'm going to do I'm going to take the liberty of doing a little bit of rounding. Um, 80% of hunters killed a single deer. Okay, among successful hunters, 80% took one deer. Um, I guess I can't round because then that eliminates. Let me let me back up. If I round it, it really eliminates the uh, <laughs> it eliminates the uh, the detail. So 76 per, 76 per hunters, 76% of hunters killed a single deer uh, in the 2017 season. Uh, 19% uh, killed two deer. Uh, 4.2% of successful hunters, now these are successful hunters, not all hunters, but a, a 4.2% of, of our successful hunters took three deer and 1% of our successful hunters. So one out of 100 took more than uh, three deer. Okay, So uh, to sum that up, Let's now I'll do some rounding. Eighty percent of our hunters will, in, in, in any given year, will take a single deer. Now it may go up or down by a couple percent, but um, by and large, eighty percent of our successful hunters will take a single deer, and twenty percent will take two or more. 
as you know, when we get into the three or mores and the four or mores, we're, we're dropping down to a percent or even less than a percent. But what I think is actually a little bit um, more uh, intuitive and maybe helpful for, for our listeners is, is to think about it not from that standpoint necessarily, because I know percents bother some people, um, but I like, to, I like to think about it in terms of the average number of deer taken uh, per successful hunter, okay? Uh, out there, the 2017, uh, 2018, whatever year you want to pick, we'll start with 2017, okay? Last year, among successful hunters, the average hunter took 1.3 deer, okay? 1.3. Make sure you make sure we're hearing that, okay? Yeah, now yeah. let's go. Let's go back, and the the statewide bag limit was six deer, okay? Let's 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 go back to 2011, um, and I'm almost sure that the statewide bag limit was 18 at that time. We hadn't we hadn't dropped it back until about 2013, but I think it was two. I think it was I think it was 18 deer. So we're 2011. The average among successful hunters, the average hunter took one point. Three seven deer. Okay, so we've gone. We went from one point three two to one point three seven with an eighteen deer bag limit. So we we tripled the bag limit, and we went from one point three two to about one point three seven. Okay, one other one other way to uh, way of looking at this, and I think this is probably one of the uh, uh, the most intriguing ways. And we're going to jump back to percentages, but but in two thousand and eleven, I, I contacted my colleague uh, in Wisconsin. And I asked them to share their hunter harvest data with me. And that year, um, we had, uh, I'm thinking it was an 18-deer bag limit, okay? Wisconsin, the same year, 2011, they had what would be, in effect, um, an unlimited bag limit, okay? It did not say unlimited, but if you bought a per, you could almost buy a permit per day. You know, the long and short of it is I wouldn't be lying, wouldn't be stretching the truth if I said, they had an unlimited bag limit. Let's compare. Let's compare the proportion of hunters that took one, two, three, and four deer in those in 2011. 18 deer bag versus an unlimited bag. Okay, I'll start with I'll start with Wisconsin. That year, 72% of hunters in Wisconsin took a single deer with an unlimited bag. Well, let me be very specific. 72.48 in Ohio that year with a with an 18 deer bag. 72.94. Okay. The number of hunters in Wisconsin that took two deer that year, 19.7, Ohio, 19.6. Uh, we can go out as far as you'd like, and I'll stop at three, but the number of hunters in Wisconsin that took three deer with an unlimited bag uh, in 2011 was 5.24%, and in Ohio, it was 5.3, okay? So so my point is, is that bag limit, um, and we can talk at length about it, but but bag limit really is not what it's cracked up to be. Um, now, it does have an effect on the harvest, but but it's an indirect effect, guys. It doesn't matter. I think the take-home message is here in Ohio, six-deer ba- six bag or four-deer bag or even a three-deer bag really is not going to have a profound impact on the harvest um, because, as we just as you just heard, we're looking at even in the years where we had a harvest of 260,000 deer, 250,000 deer, we only moved the needle by you know two tenths or three tenths of a percent in terms of the mean number of deer uh, that the average hunter took. Now, what happened in those years is that we increased the the number of hunters that were successful uh, through through some I, I would like to think through the use of that antlerless permit. And we increased the number of hunters that took two deer, but we didn't 
you know, you didn't see truckloads of guys uh, or guys going down the highway with truckloads of deer. We may have had a few more guys kill five deer, may have had a few more guys kill six deer, but by and large, the impact of that antlerless permit, all that really did was bump up the number of hunters killing zero or killing one and killing two deer. So bag limit is, is a very often misunderstood, and, and people latch on to that, um, and, and, and I can understand why. I mean, I, I have several quotes and very interesting quotes I like to share with, with students when I'm lecturing, and, and one, of my, one of my favorites is, you know, this, this gentleman from Perry County said, you know, a four-deer bag is, is more than sufficient because at six, you know, people don't need to kill six deer, and, and the reality is we could put most of our successful hunters in Perry County that year that killed six deer um, probably, you know, in a closet. Um, that, that's <laughs> <laughs> so. It, but so what I what I do want to wrap that up with, though, because in the con- when we're talking about bag limits, I, I want to make sure that we're clear that bag limits obviously can have an impact on the harvest. But but here's where it really becomes relevant, and probably the only place where it becomes relevant is when you go from a two deer bag to a three-deer bag. That really, and you guys may be able to relate to this, so maybe this will hit close to home for you guys, but but when you go down to a two-deer bag, here's what it does to a hunter. Okay, they can kill two deer, one buck or two antlerless deer. What happens there, everybody's anxious to harvest something. So they go out they go out of the shoot anxious to kill something, and they shoot an antlerless deer, and then they realize under a two-deer bag, wow, I really, even though it's an either-sex permit, all I've got left is a buck tag, okay? And I'm really picking on my bucks because I can only kill one buck. So what happens is they will hunt the entire season and may never, ever fill that additional tag because they know that they can't shoot a doe unless it's like the last day of the season or the last hour of the hunt because if they do, you know, they they basically have, have shut themselves uh, out, of a, out, out of the opportunity to kill a buck. But if you go to a three-deer bag, what that does is it allows them, if they shoot that antlerless deer, because they can't help themselves, they're so excited, they shoot that antlerless deer the first day in the stand in October, then they, they still are hunt, they still are either sex hunters. In other words, the season is, they haven't eliminated, um, two thirds of the deer from, you know, from, from, um, uh, from the population. In other words, their pool of available deer isn't, isn't reduced by, say, two thirds because they can, they could if they decided to shoot an antlerless deer. So what happens there, is they they shoot the, that antler deer early, they continue to hunt, and they get that itch. They get another opportunity that they simply cannot pass up, and they fill that addition. They they shoot that next antler deer, and now they you know so they've extended their season by by a month or two months by having that additional deer in the bag. And so those are the kinds of things that you really don't get your head wrapped around until you have that electronic license data. And those permit sales, you know, understanding how Josh and how Jeff buy their permits and how they fill their permits. You know, are you buying permits at the same time? Are you buying one permit at a time? How does that affect your harvest? And it, it has a profound effect on how you hunt and how you harvest deer. So a, a bag limit, I guess my closing remark there is a bag limit can be a very effective tool. But generally speaking, it's less than three that really matters. It, when you get beyond that, you're not having much of an impact. And, and part of the, that's really... Guys, one of the, uh, you know, we talked early on, I think, in the in the first show about, you know, about relationships and about perception and, and how perception is reality. I, in my mind, having a six-deer bag or having an 18-deer bag, all that was doing for us was creating a wall. People were really frustrated with that. You know, they didn't see a deer and they blamed it on the bag. And so they didn't want to have a conversation with us about any other regulation changes until we agreed to lower the bag. And, and of course, 
the bag wasn't having an impact on their observations. It was probably something else, but we lower the bag, and now we have a conversation. We drop that barrier. We eliminate that hurdle that's standing between us and progress. So, so that's, you know, it's great that you, that someone asked that question because I want people to understand how relevant or maybe conversely how irrele- irrelevant bag limit can be. That's great. I, I just, I'm sitting here listening to you and I'm like, man, I just love talking to Mike about this stuff because, <laughs> I mean, the, the, the facts are there. The data is there. You, it's hard to argue with the facts, right? And it's, it just clears up so many questions and like, campfire conversations about, you know, oh, that darn ODNR, you know, kind of thing. So Yeah, I'm glad, you know, we could talk about that because if there was one set of data that is irrefutable, it is the bag limit. It's the harvest per, it's the deer killed per successful hunter. But but still, as you guys well recognize, um, at the end of the day, we're still the government, um, and, and so the data, the data can't be trusted. So having a conversation, hopefully we can reach a few folks that, yes, it really doesn't matter if it's 16, unlimited, or four. It's probably not going to change because the other thing that we haven't talked about, some of the more practical things, A, um, you only have so much time to hunt. There's a finite number of days you're going to hunt. We can add six days to the gun season, we can have four days to the muzzleloader season. It's not going to generally change the number of days you hunt. You only have limited number of uh, dollars that you can spend on processing, especially if you're having custom meat, you know, custom products made. So you're going to, what what opportunity does um, is simply spread, you know, the harvest pressure out. But at the end of the day, you only have so much freezer space, you only have so much vacation time, and of course, if we have significant others, they only have so much tolerance for us in the tree stand, right? <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yep. So, anyway. Okay. Well, so that, like I said, that kind of leads into, I think I want to transition now to, to talking about how things finished up in the 2018 season and uh, kind of go from there. So I think I saw the the numbers were in. We were, it looks like the final harvest numbers were just a hair over 172,000 deer this year. Is that correct? That's correct, Jason. Yep. That's, uh, so, so we can, um, uh, to jump right in there, we can talk about, you know, I think, I think if you do the math, it was down, we were down about 8%, okay, overall, over last year. And, and, and so we could, we could talk about, uh, we could talk about, you know, factors that may have affected that, but, but I think, if it's okay with you, I think what we should do is, because of the, uh, the significant changes in regulations on public land this year, um, I think we would be doing ourselves a disservice if we didn't break our harvest down into two piles, public land harvest and private land harvest, and have a conversation about each. And, and the, 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 uh, the, the private land is really boring, but we'll talk about it to get it out of the way first. <laughs> and, and so... We were down 8% total across the board. We killed 184 uh, roughly last year, 186 somewhere in that somewhere in that vicinity. We were down a, across the board 8%. But we break those into two piles. Um, what we found was that our public, our private land harvest, and, and I'm going to do my best to make sure I don't mix those two up. But our private land harvest was only down about 5%. Okay, and we can talk about what the, you know. We we can look at um, guys. There's a multitude of factors that could have contributed to that, and I'm sure that you guys experienced some of those. But, but license sales, license sales were off 5%, okay? So that in and of itself could have had a profound impact on harvest. 
we've talked maybe before about hunter selectivity and how that's and aging hunters and how that might be affecting their decisions to harvest or not harvest a deer. But some of the more some of the more tangible things that we certainly can talk about. Opening day gun season and even Tuesday were horrible with respect to weather. I, we, you know, our opening day harvest I think was down 12 percent, may have been down a little bit more than that in some parts of the state. But weather was not on our side this year. And even though you know, even though we posted an increase during our bonus gun season, the only reason why we had an increase, it was no thanks to the weather because it could have actually been higher, was because last year was horrible. So we had to, and we may have talked about that before, we had to actually increase this year, all else being equal, because last year was miserable. So so it had to be really miserable for us to not, you know, exceed last year's harvest. But we had, if you recall, at least here in southeast Ohio, it rained on Saturday, and I think I think it you know we were in T-shirts on Sunday. So again, and we can talk about some other evidence that 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 weather may have played a really relevant role because if we look at where we were harvest-wise before we got into gun season, okay. So we look at Sunday before gun season across the state, we our harvest was about where it was last year. We were virtually flat, okay. So so weather didn't have much of an impact. We saw the gun season; it foiled a lot of our you know our our hunter trips. Um, and the other thing, uh, we look at postseason. We look, or not postseason. We look at uh, post gun season or late archery season. It really made up a lot of ground for us this year, in spite of the polar vortex and, and you know and, and some frostbite. I suspect um, our archers after gun season really got after the deer. And the reason why they got after the deer, and we because we can break that down again, thanks to the licensing system, that harvest data, we can break it down by day, by week after gun season, before gun season, year over, you know, those kinds of things. And what we found was that if we look at the if, if we look at the period after gun season this year and compare it to last year's harvest, we actually our archers did really well this year after gun season. So they were they were picking up some some leftovers, if you will, leftover deer so to speak. But so there's a there's a number of things that could have contributed to that really insignificant five percent deficit that we saw this year on our private land harvest. But let's let's go over and talk about the more interesting uh, public land harvest, and, and we're not talking about a lot of deer. So last year on public land, we harvested just over sixteen thousand, like sixteen six, I think, across the state on public land. This year, the harvest on public land, and we're talking this from this point forward. I'm going to be talking about public land. This year, we harvested just over ten thousand deer. So what we saw on public land, the total deer harvest on our public lands this year were, was down thirty five, I believe thirty four, thirty five percent. Okay. But what's even more intriguing is if we break that harvest, those 10,600 deer, roughly uh, roughly 10,000 deer into two piles, antlered and antlerless, what we saw was a 19% reduction in the antlered buck harvest on our public lands this year and a 44, and yes, you heard me, 44% reduction in the antlers harvest on our public lands. Wow. Now, yeah. good, bad? Or otherwise, I, I would I would like to argue. I think there's a couple relevant points. First, let's take a look at that antler buck harvest, down 19%. Now, just like just like bag limit um, can have an impact on hunter behavior, even though the regulation this year only affected was only designed to reduce the antler's harvest, it could have changed the way that hunters participated, the way that hunters hunted. So it could have. Uh, in fact, we've seen this before. We can back up to the mid-1990s, the late 1990s. When we increased the bag on antler steer, we would see sometimes an increase in the antler buck harvest. Even though there shouldn't have been a population increase, the additional effort, guys in the woods spending more time trying to kill that deer, we, that, antler, that second antler steer, 
we might we that could have contributed indirectly to a a buck harvest increase, even though we didn't add any bucks to the bag. So my point is is that the regulation could have contributed some to that 19% reduction, if that makes sense. But yeah. what I think the more important, or what the more yeah, what the what the take home message for me is is that our deer populations on public land are down more so, significantly more so than they are on private land. Hence, the need for something to protect antlerless deer and grow populations. And wow, what kind of protection did we see? We saw a 44% reduction in the antlerless harvest um, on our public lands, which is which is amazing. Um, I, I know that we t- we may have talked before about the predicted or the expected impact that it would have, the regulation would have, um, and, and we we that's based on two or three years worth of harvest data. But what we what we found in years past is that about 22, 23 percent of the antlerless harvest comes after gun season. So so we would have expected to save or reduce the antlerless harvest by 22 percent by pulling that out. Obviously, we had, and then we added the single antlerless deer. Um, so so those two things together. Really hard to predict how, you know, they, how that synergism might have worked and how we would have ended up with something, you know, whether the sum of the parts would have been greater than, um, the, you know, the sum of the individual, the, the effect, you get what I'm saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So the impact, uh, the uh, slicing and dicing the impact of those two separate regulations w- would be very difficult. But, but at the end of the day, we ended up seeing a 44% reduction in the antlers harvest. And, and one other piece of information to wrap up that, is that Clint McCoy and our pilot uh, were able to fly um, six, I believe, six or seven of the wildlife areas that we have um, uh, going, that we have in that camera study. I think I may have mentioned that we have 16, um, 16 of our wildlife areas involved in a camera study. And, and so we're also, those were all done, of course, before season, but we picked a handful of them uh, to, to do a postseason survey and in conjunction with that, we also were able to take advantage of some snow and put the helicopter in the air and count uh, count deer on, on six of our wildlife areas. And the numbers of deer that we saw were very, very encouraging. Now, of course, that begs the question, is that a result of the regulation savings? Or is that, as some would like to argue, um, proof that you didn't need the regulation? And, I, and I'm, I'm leaning towards the former that, in fact, what we're what we're experiencing there, um, what we're seeing there is 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 the savings that we may have generated as a, as a result of limiting hunters to antler bucks only after the gun season. So pretty exciting times right now. Of course, what's that mean for the future? Um, what I'm hoping it will mean is that we keep that regulation locked in place for at least two more years, and then make a decision about the impact that it had on. And, and most importantly, guys, one of the things that that folks need to understand this is vitally important is that we can count deer all day long. We can show you that we counted more deer. We can show you on the cameras that we counted more deer. But what we really are looking for is that in year four, or even in year two and year three, our public land hunters tell us in their surveys that, hey, I saw more deer. I saw more antler buck sign. My overall hunting experience has gone through the roof. That's really the metric that we're looking for. So, We'll keep track of we'll keep track of that. We're going to keep a watchful eye on that, and then make a decision after after those data come in. But in order to get those data, and this is me on my soapbox, guys, we need hunters to return their surveys. Yeah. Well, yeah. I I mean, from a from a selfish standpoint, I'm 
excited by that information because, you know, we I think we talked last time we have a, a hunting camp down in, in uh, Washington County and, you know, there's a there's a hunting journal or a log down there, you know, where guys write, oh, you know, saw X number of deer today, you know, and you read back in years past and, you know, just the number of deer they saw and it's just fun seeing deer. And so the opportunity to hopefully see more deer in the, in the coming years down there in, in the Wayne National Forest area is, is encouraging for me on a from a from a sort of selfish standpoint. Understood, understood. Now the only I wish we had uh, I wish we had surveyed those areas last year at the same time so that we could you know we could we could document whether or not that's more or less or the same because it may be nothing you know maybe there may be nothing to it. it may have nothing to do with the regulation. The only way we're going to know is moving forward. If we counted ten deer this year, hopefully we'll count fifteen next. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Jeff, do you have any follow-up questions or anything you want to ask, Mike? No, no. I think uh, we covered a lot of ground today. Yeah, because believe it or not. A lot of good information. Yeah, because believe it or not, we're already already on an hour here, so I want to respect Mike's time. And, Mike, do you have any kind of closing or concluding thoughts you want to leave us with? No, I – well, you know what, guys, I'm thankful – for you taking the time to do this, um, again, I, I know that, um, everybody is busy. I am, um, obviously I'm, I'm getting paid to do this. I love it. Um, I, I, I guess I would offer that I could do it for free sometimes. And I, my wife thinks that I do do it for free. <laughs> I've got to take my, I've got to take my timesheet home <laughs> to convince her that I didn't. But, uh, I appreciate you guys sitting down and, and taking your time out of your busy schedule because I know, um, uh, while everybody may not like what they're hearing, I think a lot of people are listening and, and, you know, that's the key. I mean, I think relationships and, and lending an ear, uh, 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 to our hunters and, and, and providing some feedback is, is so critically important to the success of this program and, and why it's been so successful. So I say thank you to you guys for your time and, and I would, I hate to do another public service announcement guys, but, you know, we'll send out 10,000 surveys in October via email to hunters and, and we're doing well to get a thousand back and it's difficult. We can make statewide decisions based on those numbers, but we can't drill down into counties or deer management units without additional help. So I know you're out there. I know you're listening. Some of you, uh, I know you, I know you're busy, but please take a little bit of time and get that survey back to us. It makes a huge difference. Yeah. Yeah. yeah wow. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> definitely get your, your surveys back in. That is, those are, Shockingly low numbers. Yeah, it used so, to be about 23%, 24% back in the heyday, but we were mailing uh, two and three postcards and, you know, lots of money uh, involved in, in that. Yeah. So so we're sending 10,000 email invites out, and I know, um, uh, I, I think with a high degree of confidence, 95% of those are being delivered. So I, I, I understand that everyone is busy. You know, people want to know about our, our toothpaste selection, where we like to eat, what shows we like to watch, and it gets old. Um, but if if you have an interest in deer management and you want to be part of those uh, part of the decision making process, we do value your input and we, we we rely very heavily on those surveys. So I guess along those lines, other than the surveys, what is the best way for people, you know, hunters in Ohio to Get their questions answered. To reach out to you, to reach out to to anybody at the Division of Wildlife or ODNR, and and 
if they have a question or, or they need something clarified, what is the best way for people to reach out? Well, I'd say I, I, we have, you know, social media is, is very important, um, uh, obviously, today, and, and our agency is, is, is also uh, has, a, has a big presence in that. So, so Facebook is a way to reach the Division of Wildlife. Um, you can, to, to talk specifically, say, for instance, about the upcoming proposals, once those are developed, um, you'll have an opportunity to visit us at the open houses if you'd like to meet us. If you can't make that, which we understand because, you know, they're only one of, you've got five choices across the state, We'll take comments online. So you visit visit our website. Um, that's going to be, you know, open houses are always the first Saturday in March. So we'll, we'll take comments probably through the close of business that day, maybe on, on Sunday. And, and I think we'll make those, um, the regulations, of course, will be heard by council next week. So I'm sure shortly after that, uh, the, the proposals will be up. But if you just want to, you know, if you want to reach the Division of Wildlife, our, our 1-800-um, uh, Oh my gosh, uh, wildlife, uh, I guess is the, there's, that's, that's horrible. I should know that. Uh, wild, uh, wildohio.com. Um, I just say call me if you got a question. We get plenty of emails, um, and, 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 uh, phone calls. We're here to answer your questions. Uh, don't be bashful. Uh, we may have a summit, uh, hold a summit or two, deer summit or two this summer. Uh, I think we're looking at July. So, uh, maybe, um, Listeners can get an opportunity to join us at one of those two in central Ohio and, and again, north. I think we'll do it again in northeast Ohio as well because there seems to be a lot of interest in, 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 in that neck of the woods. So Facebook calls, emails, website, um, we're really not that hard to find. Lots of ways to reach out. Yep. Okay. All right. All right. Well, with that, again, thank you, Mike, for, for doing this. We really appreciate it. Yep. And, uh, We'll have to do another one here soon. Yeah, I, I think uh, you. I will wear you out before you wear me out. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well. All right, guys. You have a great challenge, evening. Challenge accepted. All right. Thanks. Thanks again. All right. Bye. Bye. And there you have it. I want to thank Mike again for coming on the show. We really appreciate him taking the time to come on and talk about all these things. Let us know what you want us to ask him. We're going to try to keep doing these with Mike. I think they're really good. They're educational and informative. So let us know what questions you have for, for Mike or, or anybody at the ODNR, Division of Wildlife, and we will do our best to get them answered. As always, subscribe to the show. That's the best way to get notified about new episodes. Subscribe to our newsletter. There'll be links to all of this in the show notes. And follow us on social. We're Ohio Huntsman on Facebook and Ohio Huntsman Podcast on Instagram. And as always, thanks for listening.